Hi guys, um, I'm saying plural as in there's more than one person listening to this, so thank you very much if there is more than one. Um, guys, people, listeners, thank you. Um, I will admit this episode is an absolute trash can dumpster fire of an episode. So many things went wrong with it, so I'm so sorry for the quality of this. I mean, not that it's particularly like an award-worthy podcast anyway, quite proud of myself on the fact it's the, the little um, engine that could um but there were so many problems i deleted a part of it i had to re- record a part of it there are noises throughout it because of just things going off in my house um i think at one point like i pressed play on a clip by accident and music starts playing over the top of me talking um the volume dips in and out. I lost part of my research, so I wasn't able to talk about something as much as I wanted to. At one point, for some reason, I started talking about an Alicia Silverstone podcast, which has got nothing to do with the topic. It just came into my head. So this is an absolute disaster of an episode. I'm fully aware of that fact. Um, so I do apologise. Hopefully next week, it'll be back to the um, semi-professional, not standard it is normal, normally um not that it's very good as you know but it is slightly better put together than this absolute um car crash of an episode this week however the funny thing would be if i hadn't have put this caveat beforehand um if you now listen to it and just think it's the same as normal um then that really shows how bad the podcast normally is if this just sounds like any not any normal one or maybe that's just my excellent editing skills and i should win an oscar for it at tonight's ceremony there we go um anyway If you want to continue to listen to the episode, I um, discuss the Oscars, I discuss the anti-drag bill that is coming to Tennessee and and look at that in some detail. I explore the idea of whether it is selfish just to say no rather than saying yes to things constantly. And I, at the very end of the episode, um, discuss my brief um briefly my reactions to screen six that came out um and i saw yesterday so if you do listen thank you very much if this already sounds like an absolute disaster um and it is a rambling disaster um, then by all means feel free to sit this one out and maybe i'll see you next week Welcome to this week's episode of That One Time I Dated a Mormon. I hope that you are well. Um, are well? What happened to my voice then? I hope that you're well. Um, it is the Oscars tonight and it brings to an end the awards season that always feels like it goes on from like September until March. Um, it is like half the year. Um, and... Um, with it being, I think there's been a lot of unpredictable um, differences between the, the award ceremonies that have taken place. There haven't necessarily been a really clear winner, apart from in the Best Supporting Actor category from Everywhere, Everything, All at Once, which I still haven't seen yet, actually. Um, but that seems to be, you know, the one that is most um, likely to be easy to predict and the actor there um so in the other categories and you might not be interested at all but um, i'm going to just say who i think will win um so in supporting actress i know that it started off um with it pretty much being thought that it would be angela bassett for black panther um (coughs) 
again, I think maybe more as a reward for her career, um, and that a lot of people think she probably should have been nominated more than she has been in the past and won perhaps before now anyway, particularly for what uh, what's love got to do with it is Tina Turner. About 30 years ago now, she was nominated for that. Um, but I personally think it will go to Jamie Lee Curtis. I think that she's very popular, she's very likeable. Again, it will be a reward for her career rather than the individual performance and I think people will be quite happy for it to go that way. Um, in actor, I think that it will go to Austin Butler for Elvis. I really don't want it to go to Brendan Fraser. Um, I just find the whale a little bit problematic. Um, I don't have a problem with the story, um, you know, in terms of, you know, it's, it's showing a part of society that is, is very easily ignored. Um, but I think that, unfortunately, it plays into almost a bit of a, like Hollywood does, it plays into the trauma of a certain group of society. You know, quite often a lot of films are about black trauma rather than black hope and joy. Um, this film is all about fat trauma. It's not, um celebratory in any way um and you know reading Aubrey Gordon's book what we don't talk about when we talk about fat it really you know shows how a lot of films and television shows when fat characters are shown it's because they are the best friend only or they're the butt of the joke or there's something traumatic happening to them or they only meet their love interest at a Weight Watchers group so I don't know it just doesn't sit very well with me and also the fact that it was um done with prosthetics and CGI, um, why not just give the role to someone who is actually of that size, give it to an actor of that size who can then properly, you know, live and embody that body and have that experience there, it's just not, it's not for me, um, it's Austin Butler. Um, for actress, um, I hope it goes to Michelle Yeoh, again she's very likeable, she's very popular, I think that um, it would be obviously a landmark moment for the second woman of colour to win after Halle Berry like 22, 23 years ago now. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it went to Kate Blanchett. Again, you know, she's very good. This is me saying it quite at all. She's very, very good. Um, but I think it's just important that it goes to Michelle Yeoh, but who knows. Um, and then Best Picture, I think, will go to um, Everything Everywhere All at Once as well. Um, I wanted Daniel Deadwell to be nominated for lead actress. Um, again, you know, Michelle Williams, as good as she is, it's an empty nomination because she's never going to win. So I think that the nomination should have gone to Daniel Deadwell. Instead, again, it would have been an important nomination for her and the wider community. Um, and ugh, why Taylor Swift obviously should have been nominated for Best Original Song for Carolina, Carolina, sorry, for Weather Call Dad Sing. But um, there we go. Um, in the news this week, there's been a story which, um, as always, the BBC tend to focus very much so on um, white cis news, unfortunately, um, and it's been very um, little news about it over here, which is about a bill that's gone... Um, ahead in Tennessee to ban drag acts and basically the bill which is called the anti-drag bill which um, is first come through in Tennessee and basically um, it's, it's 
preventing any type of drag performance or you know kind of adult cabaret as they call it in the bill um from happening in tennessee and you know i'll read through in a moment some of the things that um are included in the bill and some of the language around it but it just goes back to the idea that anything that is um isn't binary anything that isn't you know cis white straight is in some way deviant is in some way dangerous and um, just perpetuates that really dangerous stereotype that anyone who is LGBTQ plus is wrong. Anything that isn't, you know, quote unquote, the norm of societies where, you know, bred to believe um, is wrong and therefore like sinister and salacious. So the uh, bill essentially says that it restricts adult cabaret performances in public or in the presence of children and bans them from occurring within a thousand feet of schools, public parks or places of worship. The bill, uh, the bill sorry, was passed alongside separate legislation that bans transgender minors in Tennessee from receiving gender affirming care, like puberty blockers, hormones and surgery. Um, and in the last month, it's been identified that nine different states in America are trying to publish similar anti-drag bills. And anyone found to be violating an anti-drag law can face misdemeanor charges. They can be punished by a fine of up to two and a half thousand dollars and or up to a year, a year in jail. And anyone who does subsequent um, violations so they break the law again of being in a drag act or whatever can face up to six years in jail um and you know people have said that it's purposely vague because you know what constitutes um, a cabaret performance what constitutes something that is overtly sexual um you know what is the difference between just a performance that is um you know provocative but for adults a performance that is fun a performance that is campy whatever and then what constitutes this supposedly like devilish thing that they're trying to make out that drag is um and you know the idea that it can't be performed in front of or around children it, again it just completely demonizes this group of society and makes them seem as if they are deviant and dangerous and are trying to indoctrinate children and so on, which just is not the case. Um, it's not a choice to be LGBT. It's part of who you are. Um, and it just, again, just puts segregation back into part of society. It segregates drag um, community members from anyone else. It'll create, it creates resentment. It creates anger. And thinking you know we're in 2023 we've got through the years of trump why on earth do we think it's time to go backwards um i was reading um a while ago now some work by um ruth bader ginsburg um and gloria steinem and they both say that when there is progress forward eventually there is a huge pushback because those who are against um, progress for minorities in the first place when they get a little bit of um, you know, movement forward 
they then almost push back even harder because they don't want us to think that we can then ask for even more. So, you know, it's the idea that there has been, you know, movement forward for the LGBT community in terms of marriage equality and things. So let's not let them think that they can now have X, Y and Z. You know, they can't have kids now and they can't do this now. So they almost try to send a warning for us to stop trying to fight for anything else. Um, and this is just, I mean, it's a, it's a show, it's a performance, it's fun. Um, RuPaul's Drag Race is a global success. I mean, what are you going to do? Never put it on the television again. Is Tennessee going to ban parts of television next? Um, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a, like a dictator state where even forms of entertainment are now being controlled. Um, and... Jamila Jamil, um, as you know, won't surprise you, has come out and spoken against it, um, and um, has said, or you know, given her opinion on it. So I'm surprised she's very vocal about these important issues. And um, she said, drag queens have never tried to indoctrinate me. They've never forced their religion on me. They've never imposed an abortion ban. They've never defunded my school or Rodal Hospital. They've never written a law to perpetuate gun violence. But for some reason, they're being um, banned, whereas in America, there are people who can control your abortion. They can just allow people to have guns. They can try and um, you know, change the curriculum to make sure that certain things are or aren't included. Um, and she goes on to say... Um, a clothed drag brunch where the drag queens are there with you and your children under full supervision isn't a big threat. Um, and then she posts some pictures of um, drag performances that just show how fun it is. So there's pictures of drag queens going into schools and doing education on um, the movement of the drag um, community and encouraging children to perform and dance and tell stories um, now, don't get me wrong, it's up to someone's individual um, opinion if they want to go to a drag show, if they want a family to go to a drag show, if they enjoy it. But that's very different if it's just, you know, something that's not for you. Um, and then actually banning a public performance in a public way of um, showing your personality and what you enjoy. Um, RuPaul has... Um, actually come out and spoken about it as well and um, because this is just just so um opposite to everything that he and his drag um, race community um obviously tries to show and try to promote in society and he was interviewed for variety magazine online and has said that this banning of the drag community in tennessee and wider potentially in nine other states is just a way for politicians to try and um, make us be distracted by things that are actually going on in society that are problems so they use a certain you know political hot topic as um like a diversion tactic 
and um, a bit of a smoke screen. So um, RuPaul says, quote, hey, look over there, a classic distraction technique, distracting us away from the real issues that were voted into office to focus on jobs, healthcare, keeping our children safe from harm at their own school. But we know that these bullies are incompetent at solving real issues. They look for easy targets so they can give the impression of being effective. They think our love, our light, our laughter and our joy are signs of weakness, but they're wrong because that is our strength. Um, and um, also, which I thought was um, interesting too, is when I was reading up on this, um, an interview... The end of every episode! So sorry, I don't know what happened. I pressed um, play on an advert there by mistake, I do apologise. Um, so, there was an, an interview with a historian at John Hopkins University called Jules Gill-Peterson, and they asked her, um, as a professor on transgender history and sexuality history, um, their opinion on what had happened and, you know, what is potentially going to happen in different states around the country. And she said, quote, the notion that police might arrive at Pride and start arresting drag queens or, frankly, anyone who could be dressed in a costume because there could be children dressed up in a crowd is really an incredible thing to imagine in happening but I think it's the sort of the sort of uncertainty of how these laws are written. I'm not sure how Tennessee's law would necessarily allow police to take action but certainly other laws are being considered um, and I think that's a really important point as well that because the law is so vague you know that um, drag acts are now banned well what if it is part of a pride parade? Are you going to arrest every single person who's um, in costume, anyone who's got a little bit of makeup on? What if a child is dressed up in a costume to celebrate? Are they going to be arrested too? Um, it's just, uh, you know, a, a very sudden reaction and a very sudden... Um, well, it's not sudden because, you know, people have been trying to quiet minorities for far too long. But I mean, as in, it's a very... Uh, it feels like a very quick law that's been put into place that hasn't been in any way, shape or form thought through in terms of the logistics of it and how it would impact people and communities and families and children. Um, you know, what does this teach young children who don't feel that they fit into the binary straight heterosexual cis when they're seeing something that they're interested in being like literally banned and arrested? Um, it, to find out more about it, I suggest that you go and um, have a look at the Tennessee um, bill um, banning drag acts um, and also um, go and look at the interview with RuPaul on Variety.com and, as always, um, Jamila Jamil's account on Instagram because she posts a lot of links to um, drag supporters and comments and reactions to this particular piece of news and legislation. Now... Um, I also just want to play a clip from NBC News. Now, when the Tennessee law was passed um, over a week ago now, obviously this was reported widely on the news, and this news report from NBC in America interviews members of the Tennessee drag community um, and speaks to one particular performer called Dee Dee who says that this legislation is fear-mongering and is just attacking the LGBT community in America uh, and wider yet again. Four years, Didi has built a career performing in drag shows. Are y'all ready for a fabulous show? 
As a trans woman from rural Tennessee, Dee Dee says drag gave her an outlet and a community, but that community is now on edge. It's definitely very scary. I definitely always get our security to walk us to the car now. I would, I've never did that before. This week, Tennessee became the first state to pass a law that will restrict drag performances on public property or anywhere a child could see them. Conservatives say drag shows expose children to sexually suggestive content, while performers here say the law is discriminatory and feels designed to push them back into the closet. I hate it. I absolutely hate it because I can't be myself no more. I have to be what they think I should be. Bill's sponsor, Jack Johnson, argues this law isn't meant to target the LGBTQ community. It's about protecting children. Are you trying to send a signal that some types of communities, some types of people aren't welcome here in Tennessee? The only signal I'm trying to send is that you shouldn't be doing sexually graphic, you shouldn't be simulating sex acts in front of children. The law targets performances that are harmful to minors, but it doesn't say how performances will be determined to be harmful or sexual. Who's going to decide what's sexually explicit, what's inappropriate? Well, the same way any law is enforced with our law enforcement, our district attorneys, the same way they prosecute any other criminal offense. They did a... Now, what's really um, interesting about that particular clip there is, you know, the drag shows that they were showing were just as is shown on things like RuPaul's Drag Race and whatever, that are just fun, people dressed up as, you know, performers dressed up as Taylor Swift and whoever. Um, And there's no difference to a music video where, you know, women, men, whoever are scantily clad and performing a sexually provocative dance routine. I mean, what are they going to do next? Ban Lady Gaga music videos, ban girl group videos, ban programmes like Love Island um, you know, because there's obviously the sexual overtones constantly throughout a show like that when the entire point is to get with someone. It just either is completely um, ill thought out and is just a way to scare people to not be anything other than, you know, the binary norm or is a really worrying sign of things to come. You just gotta say no, whether it's because someone's asking you for some money or because they want you to create a TikTok account. Then you just answer with nay, yeah, nem, nai, no, hi, hong, ay, didak, nyat, ni, naim, la, ohi, no, ne, 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 ara, ay, na, loch. Please don't follow me on Instagram and Twitter because I really don't want to grow on the other social media platforms. Just kidding. So that is the Lingulizer. Lingulizer? Um, teaching us how to say no in 40 different languages. So do you think it's ever okay to just say no?
or should we say yes to as many different things as possible? This is a question that I thought about when I was reading the newspaper this week, Independent, what a surprise. No, I don't have shares, but I should. Um, an article by Martin Croxall, whose uh, article is called Why My New Superpower is Saying No More Often. And in the article, she talks about how she um, always grew up seeing her parents doing lots of things for the local community and putting themselves out for friends and family and neighbours and uh, local community events and things like that. And, you know, for the love of, of friends and family, but running themselves ragged and um, on top of work and looking after her siblings and everything and how she inherited that from her parents and how as she's been getting older, she has started to think whether that is healthy, whether it is sometimes okay to just say no. Um, she talks about how, um, you know, she would wake up in the morning and feel anxious about everything she knew she had to do that day because she felt like she couldn't say no to anything, whether that was giving someone a lift to work, whether that was making sure that something is prepared for the kid at school, going um, and seeing a friend later on that evening, making sure that something was done for their partner, arranging something for the weekend. And that because she was saying yes to so many things, um, a lot of things that she wanted to do herself were just getting kind of sidelined. Um, and so I thought it was just quite an interesting idea whether it is okay to say no for yourself and whether it is okay to be selfish at times. I have done episodes before looking at self-care and whether self-care is selfish. And the idea of self-care really took off in the pandemic when we were encouraged to self-soothe and look after ourselves and particularly our you know, mental health when we were stuck inside, panicked and worried about what was going on. Um, but I do think there's, you know, an, an argument for whether it is um, maybe then becoming, I don't know, overtaken by the commercial side of it now. Um, very much how diet culture is now masqueraded as well-being culture. Um, you know, is self-care almost just being capitalised on um, and becoming something very capitalistic rather than actual looking after yourself. Um, there's another article in the newspaper as well about um, a woman who decided that um, she was not going to do all of the more grown-up pressing things that she had to do. So, for example, you know, she needed to buy a new kettle, a new extractor fan or something for a house, and she decided, no, I'm not going to do that. Actually, I've worked really hard all week. Instead of doing that, the money for that time for that I'm going to go out instead I'm going to go to the cinema I'm going to go out for some lunch on my own I'm going to read my book and go for a walk in the park that's what I'm going to do instead and you know it's the idea that are you actually going to then be more refreshed feel better about your day your time your week yourself if you do give yourself that space and don't have to say yes to everything you think you should and no to certain things instead um, I started listening to a podcast this week by Alicia Silverstone, um, Clueless Share, um, called The Real Heal. And I really wanted to like it, but it parts its laughably bad. Um, it is very um, white woman, white wine privileged. Um, it is like vegan to the eyeballs. Now, don't get, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with you know, wanting to promote a certain lifestyle and look after yourself and all of that. But it's a very, very kind of rich Hollywood, quite blindly ignorant, privileged. The topics they discuss 
um, and some of the language that is used. And it's all around the idea, again, of self-care and self-help, but from a very, very rich and privileged point of view. Um, you know, they have discussions around intermittent fasting, which I just think is problematic to try and put across any type of diet instruction and diet culture across in a podcast for white for people to hear. Um, there's an interview with one lady who says that um, she was really happy that her restaurant burnt down because it made her realise that I think it was like a chicken um dish caught on fire and if that hadn't have happened and her restaurant hadn't have burnt down from a meat dish she would never have realized that veganism was the way to go um yeah just fair i mean it's almost worth listening to just to kind of for entertainment value um but it's i think kind of shows that that huge difference between what this article in the newspaper is saying is you can say no to look after yourself to put yourself first that's absolutely fine which is very different from the cash in money side of self-care that has unfortunately started to trickle through particularly in the you know instagram like um almost business side of it where we're encouraged to you know hashtag and photoshop everything that's good about our lives um which we put down as self-care when actually spending more time making something look like you look you're you know self-caring than you actually are because the time that you should be spending on yourself you actually just try trying to take a good photo if that makes sense um that was a complete ramble. Um, but the article is called Where, Why My New Superpower Is Saying No More Often by Martine Croxall in The Eye. Um, I'm also reading a book at the moment, or parts of it. Um, I like to dip in and out of research sometimes. Um, a book called The Chimp Paradox um, and the sequel to that called Mind Management. Um, by Professor Steve Peters and he does a lot of work around um, sensible thinking, trying not to be too um, kind of illogical in thinking or rather not allowing yourself to be um, to overthink things just to realise what is your logical brain, what is your emotional brain is try and make the two things work together and reading this alongside the article I mentioned before about whether it's okay to just say no to things or not and how actually that can be beneficial to you, um, you know, and then not get, you know, kind of dragged down into an Alicia Silverstone um, self-care mind warp of a podcast, but just make the decision of I'm doing this for myself because I want to and not feeling guilty about it. Um, you know, I'm not getting that maybe mixed up with this is self-care. It's OK. Just doing it for yourself because you want to. Um, so in the book, and I'll just look at a little section of it, it's the idea that in our mind we have the human brain and the chimp brain. So the human brain is us, the frontal lobe, whereas the chimp brain is the emotional one, which, um, you know, is the one that I think we tend to put more, give more power to because it's the one that affects our relationships, affects how we respond to things. So essentially summarises and says that um, we are the human brain, the logical one. The chimp brain is the emotional thinking machine, but we also have a computer in our brain, which is where we store things and store um, events and that we need to try to um, get them working together rather than give power more power to one than the other. So we shouldn't be 
completely clinical, we shouldn't be completely emotional, and we should use then that computer brain to learn from the past in order to try and make the decisions we make um, more purposeful and easier. So, for example, that we don't get too emotional or guilty about saying no, and that we should just be able to do that. Um, so that's the mind management, a book by Stephen Peters um, and the, the Chimp Paradox as well. Um, I'm just going to play a little video clip. This is from a YouTube account called The Insider Business and they talk about why we should learn to say no uh, in terms of a working point of view as well and that we shouldn't overload ourselves by just saying yes to everything from uh, a workload point of view and how that can then impact us positively and negatively depending on the decision we make, whether we decide to say no to extra workload or continue to say yes and why we continue to say yes at times. So often we all want to be liked and that's a, a natural thing is to say, you know, I want other people to like me. But sometimes people take that too far and they start to say yes to everything that they're asked of because it feels good on one hand to say yes. But on the other hand, every time you say yes to something, you're really saying no to something else that you could be doing with your time. And I'll work with a lot of people who will say, well, I don't want to be selfish. But really, when you say yes to everything, it's about me. I want to feel good or I want people to like me more. And that in itself can kind of be selfish sometimes. A lot of times saying yes just becomes a habit for people. They'll just automatically say yes without even thinking about the question or without really thinking about, is this something I want to do? And so a good trick sometimes is to be able to say, well, my standard answer is going to be, Thanks for asking. I'm going to think about that and I'll get back to you or something along those lines to give yourself a chance to really step aside and think, is this something I really want to do or not? And to know that you don't always have to have a reason why you say no. It's okay to say, no, thanks for asking, but I can't do that. And you don't necessarily need an excuse. When people say yes to everything, sometimes it's a matter of trying an experiment. So say, I'm going to say no to somebody and see if they really don't like me anymore, or if they're completely crushed that I didn't do what they wanted to do. And then when you see, well, you know, other people are usually much more accepting of the answer no than you might be giving yourself credit for, it gets a little bit easier over time to start saying no to, to bigger things that might be asked of you. And that's quite an interesting idea, you know, to test it. Actually, today, if someone asks me to do something I don't want to do, I'm just going to say no for a change. However, you know, there is that slight dichotomy of there. It says saying yes to everything all the time can appear selfish because you're doing it because you want to be liked. It's not altruistic at all. You just want to please people so they like you. Whereas, you know, you could say from the other point of view, um, saying no to people is selfish because then you're only thinking of yourself. So it's just that kind of, you know, emotional mind fuck, um, for want of a more um, politically correct phrase or a more grown up phrase, um, which means that we're just constantly stuck in the idea of wanting to look after ourselves, but then not wanting to offend, wanting to say yes to help people out, but then wanting to say no, because actually we just want to do something on our own. Is that selfish? Is it not selfish? Is it self-care? Is it just buying into this, you know, self-care um you know, almost company that there is now um, with different products and things. And, you know, keeping in mind very briefly, I mentioned in that book that we need to try and keep that 
logical brain and the emotional brain side by side rather than overthinking things. And this is coming from me, the person who overthinks everything like a lot of us do. But um, maybe it's something that, you know, you can at least think about, read up on and have a chat to people about as well. When's the last time they said no? Was it the end of the world? Should I say no to something today? If I do, maybe I'll learn from it. And I can't finish the episode, which you know has been a little bit all over the place today, but as is life sometimes, um, without mentioning the release of Scream 6, obviously. Um, now, lots of reviews, lots of talk about it online and on Twitter, and um, like lots of films when it is this long into a franchise, uh, quite divisive. Um, some people have really liked it, some people have absolutely loathed it, some people are in the middle. Um, I've only seen it once, obviously I saw it yesterday, it only came out, you know, three days ago, four days ago, and I will, um, I, you know, I'll need to see it again to really kind of get my head around it, because, um, you know, watching it the first time through, as with Scream of last year, um, you just, like, I'm just so involved in the moment of wanting to take it all in, um, I can then enjoy it more the second time round, because um, I can relax into it a little bit more. Um, I think at the moment I'm a little bit in the middle. There were parts of it that I loved and parts of it that didn't quite work for me, were a little bit um, jarring or a bit clunky. Um, so I think on a second viewing, um, I'll be able to get my head around things a little bit more, maybe put those um, quibbles to bed. Um, so just a, a couple of things, and I won't say too much in case you've not seen it yet or you're just not particularly interested. Um, uh, you know, and you know, you probably just best of turning off now then if that's the case um but i uh, like the opening um did something different with it um violent i i think my problem with it is when you then get to the conclusion of the film the opening doesn't quite fit with the overall storyline i don't feel um it feels like it was different for the sake of being different rather than it really fitting into the overall plot. But it was an interesting way. It was, it was you know, unique, fine. Um, I think it benefited from being the longest. It had the longest runtime of any of the films because um, it was very tight in terms of from scene to scene to scene. But there was a lot of breathing room given to conversation and relationship developments. And there were scenes of characters just talking and getting to know each other and um, arguing and laughing. And like the rapport between the characters was really good in this one. And um, particularly between the four, the core four as they call themselves. So the time for conversation I really enjoyed in this one. And the set pieces were really exciting, uh, really well done. The ladder scene, um, the chase scenes were back, which we haven't really seen since Scream 2 and 3. Um, particularly the Gale scene was brilliant. And I'd worried that I'd maybe seen too much of that in some adverts. But there's a lot of um, bait and switch in terms of how they put clips together. And... Um, the crawling across the floor, stabbing the floor, going after her feet bit, um, which you'll have to watch to get to know what I mean about that, was very, very well done. Um, there were some surprises in terms of like sudden attacks as well. 
um, one particular at the end, which completely took my breath away when I saw this attack happen on a particular character. It was incredibly shocking and brutal. Um, and again, very, very well done with it being so emotive and powerful. Um, I really liked the improvement of Chad. I think he had potential in the, in the last film, but this one, I think it really is his film. He's really likeable very um, emotional, very funny, fits in with the rest of the characters really well. I like the fact that he's like a bit of a jock, but all of his best friends are girls. He spends a lot of his time with his sister. Um, he's just a really nice character and he's built up really well on this film as well. Um, I, mm, I, was, I wouldn't say that... Um, Sydney Prescott, who isn't in this film, is necessarily needed and she is referenced in a way that makes sense. And the way that the characters talk about her was very touching as well. And it was important that she was referenced. I do think when you look at the film as a whole, there is a little bit of a body to it that is slightly missing because of just that weight that she brings to it. It would have been nice um, just to... I think at least have maybe a phone call with her at the end, just something to kind of really cement it in the franchise somewhere. It did feel very different to the others. And I think it's maybe because she wasn't in it, um, visually in it. With that and returning characters, Gail was used in it fine. Um, I don't think it was particularly her most interesting performance or her interesting outing. Um, she sidelined at the end as well, which um, didn't sit too well with me. Considering what happens with her character, um, I think we needed one more scene with her. I think six films into the franchise, she deserved that. But again, when you've seen it or if you have seen it, you may know what I mean. Kirby, absolutely fine. She was in it enough. She was in like a kind of dotted cameo throughout, but in a way that made sense. Um, you know, Hayden Palantir is very likeable. The dialogue she had with the characters was good. The film discussion scene that she had very briefly with Mindy was good. So Kirby being back in it was absolutely fine. Should have been used more in the um, finale, but I understand why they build that more towards particularly the Samantara fine. Um, I think my... And again, this is when I watch it for a second or third time and it might make a bit more sense to me. The conclusion and the explanation of the motive to me felt a little bit rushed. And considering the big set piece of the shrine, which has been shown and built up a lot in the trailers, um, felt a little bit maybe convoluted in terms of how everything was able to be put together. Um, like logistically, physically put together. Um, but again, maybe when I watch it again and I can just enjoy seeing the pieces of the jigsaw come together, that may make a bit more sense for me. Um, so I enjoyed it. I think on a first viewing, it's going to be the lowest of my ranking in the series, but that doesn't mean I disliked it. It's just the least best of the ones that I've seen. But on a later viewing, when I can watch it, you know, at home and relax when I watch it, it might be that I kind of come out the other side and, and have a completely different opinion on it. Um, if you have any ideas about it or thoughts on it yourself, by all means, let me know. Um, and, you know, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, at the one time podcast at yahoo.com. And um, yeah, I'll uh, see you next week. Have a good week.